Welcome to the Nativist Podcast, where we tap into our instinct and natural power to live intuitively. The ultimate goal is to leave the world healthier and more beautiful than we found it. It all starts on the individual level by cultivating our mind-body connection. Whether you're on a healing journey or just want to look and feel your best, I hope by the end you feel a little happier, a little more inspired, and a little more invested in yourself and the world. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Nativist Podcast. This episode is a little different from most. This is based on a speech I gave at the Women's Networking Group this last week, and it is a topic I think is relevant for all of us, and I wanted to make it accessible and available to everybody, and let's rock and roll and get right into it. So today's topic is about releasing judgment. Okay, I want us to start by imagining we are on on a walk. We're walking through the forest. It's a beautiful day and we come across this cute little dog. And if you're a dog lover like me, you gravitate towards them. You just want to love on them. This time it's no different. So you approach the dog and bend down to pet it. And all of a sudden it lunges at you and snarls and growls. And you might be a little scared at first and then maybe a little ticked off. Like, where is this coming from? Why can't we be friends? Why won't you let me love you? Just let me love you. And then all of a sudden the breeze picks up and the wind blows away the leaves and reveals the poor thing has its paw caught in a trap. And all of a sudden, your anger is replaced with compassion and understanding, and you get it. This little thing is terrified and suffering and miserable and anxious, and you understand why it's acting the way it's acting. No matter how kind, evolved, compassionate, empathetic, and spiritual we are, we all judge. It's reality. It's inevitable in life. And it can even be beneficial, right? We're always told to have good judgment, and why is this? It helps us determine right from wrong, ethical from non-ethical, harmful from toxic, and it helps us be successful. We have to honor what feels right to us, what feels good to us. And I want to distinguish between judgment and what I call discernment. So judgment is condemnation, it's criticism, that's what we want to release. Discernment is judging moral from immoral, right from wrong, good from bad. That's what we can feel good about. But when we are criticizing and condemning others, that's what we want to let go of. And one way to gauge that is how you feel when you're in it. So if you're judging from a pure place or deciding from a pure place, that's discernment. You can feel good about that. But if you get that icky feeling, that's judgment and that's something that we want to strive to let go of. And why would we judge from a non-pure place? So let's talk about some of the reasons. Number one, it makes us feel superior and elevated, right? Number two, it gives us a quick hit of self-righteousness. If we're feeling guilty or shameful, we need that little dose of self-righteousness to make us feel good again, though it's temporary and we'll talk about that. Number three, it's a crutch for when we feel insecure or vulnerable or shameful. And number four, judging helps us feel smarter, savvier, more accomplished, and you name it. 
However, these feelings are fleeting. It is a deceptive high. When you're judging another and you feel good about yourself initially, there's a crash that follows. There is a judgment hangover, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. While that feeling may be temporarily intoxicating to feel better than another, the consequences are strong. So let's talk about judgment. Let's define it. What is judgment? As Gabrielle Bernstein puts it, judgment is simply separation from love. Judgment separates us from others, from our best self, from our best life. And I want you to think about your typical day. And from the minute that you wake up to the minute your head hits the pillow, I want you to think about how many opportunities there are throughout the day for you to judge and how many times you take advantage of those opportunities and judge. Be honest with yourself. You don't have to share this with anybody. This is you just being honest with you. So let's say you wake up and you judge your partner for sleeping in too late or not doing enough around the house. You judge the person on the news for the way they speak, the way they dress. You judge the person they're interviewing or the person that they're talking about. You judge the parents in the school drop-off line for the way they're dressed, the way their kids are dressed, for wearing mismatched clothes or bedhead. You judge drivers for cutting you off. You judge coworkers at work for being incompetent or not handling a situation the way you would. You judge your neighbors for not shoveling their walk or taking care of their lawn. You judge people on your social media feed for using poor grammar, for buying followers, for posting selfies. There's so many opportunities for us to judge. So I want you to think about your day, your typical day, and what you usually judge people on if you do. And let's remember, judgment is multidirectional. And you can judge yourself and you can judge others. It goes multiple ways. And how many of you have ever fallen victim to the comparison game? And I know I have. I will raise my hand there. And this can go both ways, thinking you're better than others and thinking you're worse than others. And neither one feels awesome, right? Especially in this digital age with so many curated lives throwing up all over our feed, comparison and judgment are common. We're inundated with highlight rules and no disrespect to those people who create those highlight rules and present them. They make some beautiful content, which I admire in a lot of ways, and it can be really hard to consume that and be on the other end of that and see that and think that you're less than for not having a perfect house, a perfect family, a perfect following, a perfect everything. And nobody has a perfect anything. And that's something that we need to continually remind ourselves, no matter how ideal someone's life looks, their kids aren't always behaving. Their hair isn't always perfect. They're not always benching 400 pounds it's just not reality we need to remember that and we also need to remember these few things number one we never have the full story and we don't know all that's going on behind the scenes think about your own life and all that's going on in your head and behind the scenes that people know nothing of so if your life can be like that wouldn't someone else's life also be like that as well Number two, we are all on our own paths. And I say this in my best Zen master voice. We are all on our own paths. It's so true though. Number three, and this is in the same vein as number two, this is not a race. We're not working with the same tools or obstacles or strengths or resources. We are in a customized experience. You are in your own customized experience. 
that's different than anybody else's, even different from your siblings, from your best friends, no matter how similar your experience may seem to another, it's different. It's unique. It's customized to you. Nobody has your strengths, your weaknesses, your experiences, your obstacles, your resources. Number four, people have struggles we know nothing about. Think about something that you're struggling with, maybe privately. Maybe you haven't shared this with anybody or maybe just one or two confidants. So if you have a secret struggle, isn't it probable that another would have a secret struggle too that you know nothing about? This would affect how they move through the world, how they act day to day. Think about times that you've been really stressed about something. You're on edge about something that nobody knows, but it's affecting how you're treating other people or acting towards other people. And the last, I love this one. Gratitude is a magic balm. It really is. It boosts us. It makes us feel good. And it turns what we have into enough. It solves things. And as I mentioned earlier, judgment is a part of life. It's inevitable and it's reality. We're not going to get away from it. And we're not talking here about eliminating it necessarily. Completely. It's more about disengaging from and overriding those judgments and not letting them control our thoughts, our words, and our actions. Let's reclaim our power, right? And if you do notice yourself judging, try not to get mad at yourself, but try to be curious. Curiosity is a superpower. Try asking yourself, why am I judging? What expectations do I have that are unrealistic? What can I guess about what the other person is really going through? Can I find out more? This isn't always realistic, but sometimes you can. What about the other person can I appreciate? Can I get out of my self-centeredness and put myself in the other person's shoes? Can I imagine a time when I was going through something similar? Let's dive into those a little more deeply. So number one, don't blame yourself. We are instinctively hardwired for survival. When we see a dog or a person, who might bite us, literally or metaphorically, of course we feel threatened. We go into fight, flight, freeze mode and are unable to see the many possible reasons for another's behavior. We seize up, we get tight and defensive, right? This is a normal first reaction. The key is to pause before we act out of this mode. Respond, don't react. And this is kind of on another level of thinking, but that's why Hitler was so effective. He was able to tap into people's base fears and survival instincts and ignite a scarcity mindset. And by vilifying the Jews and identifying a common enemy and a culprit, he generated division, us against them. He sparked fear. They're taking what's yours. There will be less for you and less for your family. And you won't be able to survive because there'll be less for you to survive on. Once you activate someone's lizard brain, containing their deepest fears and survival instinct, game over. You own them. They are so consumed by that fear and those instincts that they shut out logic and reason and compassion. They're so focused on surviving. And here is where self-reflection is particularly important. Trauma, insecurity, and fear can drive us to judge because it drives us into those base instincts and activates them. So think about your life. Is there something from your past or present causing you to react with fear and judgment instead of love and acceptance? Where do you need to heal? What are your triggers? 
For example, if you feel judged as a mother or a creative or a business person, are you projecting that judgment onto another? Because it will make you feel a little bit better then. And when we're traumatized, we feel unsafe and we typically respond to fear by attacking and judging others. This is to try to build ourselves up and lean on judgment as our protector, but it's a false protector. So it's so important to dig in and do your shadow work. You've heard me say it before. You'll hear me say it again. we got to face our demons. Clean up our side of the street first. And this usually is and should be a lifetime endeavor, consuming all of our time and energy. So we don't have time to look at another side of the street. And that's why this is just a lifelong pursuit, right? And another line of thought that I want to address We as women are indoctrinated to look, think, act a certain way. Society grooms us to be judgmental and critical of ourselves. Most of the economy depends on our insecurities to make money, right? Think of all the weight loss fitness products out there. Think of all the women's magazine covers that talks about lose weight fast, do this, be more attractive, be more appealing, be more sexy, be more this, be more that, because how you are naturally is not good enough. The cosmetics industry and nothing against makeup artists and makeup artistry in general because I think it's art, true art. But I'm purely addressing the concept of us feeling the need like we need to look a certain way and act a certain way and present ourselves a certain way to satisfy society's demands. That's what I'm talking about. Most of society and the economies rely on us hating our bodies and the way that we look and wishing we were different. So do you find yourself critiquing others' looks? Maybe thinking they need to wear more or less makeup? Don't judge yourself, and this isn't to instill any guilt or shame in you. I just want you to be honest with yourself because this is where true healing happens and where we can learn to pivot and get better. So think about it. Do you look at another thinking they need to tone up, that they need to try harder? have better style and for one thing and i say this as a person who actually makes money styling styling is objective it's an expression of self it's less about what you're wearing and it's more about how you're wearing it confidence is the key so you thinking that someone else's style is off point means nothing because style is subjective style is self-expression so who am i to say that another person's style is wrong it is a reflection of them And it breaks my heart when I see people, especially women, tearing others and themselves down, holding women to society's impossible standard, basing our value and worth and on our exterior. It's total bullshit. We're so much more than that. And judgment is the number one reason we feel blocked, sad, and alone. Society places enormous value on social status and also on looks and racial and religious separation and material wealth. And we're made to feel less than, separate, inadequate, not good enough. So we use judgment to insulate ourselves from the pain of feeling insecure or unworthy. It's easier to make fun of, dismiss, or judge someone for a perceived weakness of theirs than it is to examine our own sense of lack. And it also goes back to that survival instinct too, because that mentality where if you can divert the attention and the blame and the shame onto another, you can save yourself. And you can make yourself feel stronger and better and safer because then people won't look at you. And it's not fun to feel lacking or shameful or guilty. 
and people often try to numb this pain by focusing and projecting onto others. Gossiping is a great way to do this, right? A great example of this. When we talk about others judgmentally, we're avoiding our own core wounds. We're using judgment to numb our pain and get high on someone else's. This isn't bonding. It's a false sense of unity. You're just piling your collective pain onto another. Not cool. Number two is be mindful. Although judgment is a natural instinct, try to catch yourself before you speak or send that nasty email or do any potential harm. Try to respond, not to react. You can't get your words back. Pause. Practice that pause. See if you can understand where the person may be coming from. Try to rephrase your critical internal thought into a positive one, or at the very least a neutral one. After all, like that dog in the trap, we really don't know the reasons for someone's behavior, right? Number three, depersonalize. When someone disagrees with us or somehow makes our life difficult, remember it's typically not about us. There's so many reasons for that disagreement or for them making our lives difficult. And I can almost guarantee you it's not because they want to stick it to us or make it hard on us. It's because of whatever issue or reason or logic is happening in their brain. And or let's say that they do want to stick it to us. That's because that they're hurting or they have insecurities and hurt people hurt people and they're not good with themselves. And so if we could meet that with love and compassion and acceptance, boundaries, of course, don't let people walk all over you, but sympathy, then I think that that would go a long way and bridge a lot of gaps. Why not give others the benefit of the doubt? Never underestimate the pain of a person. Everybody has hardships and struggles that they're going through, just like you. We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. Number four, look for basic goodness. Ooh, this can take practice and our minds can naturally scan for the negative, but if we try, it's like a muscle and we can strengthen that and we can almost always find something good about another person. Maybe that's something good if you're really reaching for it is they're not Hitler. Start there, okay? That's a launching point. And this can transform not only our lives, but others as well. And people can sense when you're judging them. They can. It's about energy. Your subconscious can pick up on things that your subconscious has no idea about. I was listening to a podcast with a top FBI, former top FBI hostage negotiator, Chris Boss, and he exemplified this and provided a great example when he talked about approaching negotiations with a collaborative spirit and in your mind thinking we are going to come to an agreement and it's not about getting your due and what you want out of the situation It's more about being open and being accepting. And this wasn't a hippie trippy podcast. This was someone who was talking hard science and the effects of that. And so he just really drove home the point that others can sense that. And I know sometimes you can get in your head about perceiving how other people are perceiving you. And so this is a little bit different than that. And that also drives home the point to give others the benefit of the doubt and try to just show and think love onto others and look for basic goodness. Everybody has a redeemable quality. They really do. And think about this quote from T.D. Jakes. 
We have the tendency to want the other person to be a finished product while we give ourselves the grace to evolve. So we often feel other people should always be on point, should never have a bad day, a bad moment, and misspeak. They should always say what they mean and do the right thing. And how many missteps do we have? I know I have some royal screw-ups. I mess up all the time. So I have to give myself grace and give others grace as well. And I think that the context and space we create for others typically affects how they behave. So if we create a negative judgmental space, they'll sense this and react accordingly. They'll get defensive, close up, lash out, etc. So if you hold space for others, they often rise to that occasion and live up to that. Just try it. Number five, repeat the mantra, just like me. Remember, we are more alike than different. We really are. When I feel critical of someone, I try to remind myself the other person loves their family just like I do, wants to be happy just like I do, wants to be free of suffering just like I do, and most important, that person makes mistakes just like I do. And I am so grateful when people give me grace and understand and accept when I mess mess up just like that. And I'm so, so thankful when they give me the benefit of the doubt and just let me be and let me atone for whatever I did and or just let it go. I'm so grateful for that. So I owe it to others to do the same, right? To pay it forward. As Malcolm Gladwell notes, when it comes to judgments about our own character and behavior, we're willing to entertain all manner of complexity. And suddenly, when it comes to making those same judgments about others, we're depressingly simplistic, right? That person did something bad, so he's a bad person. She did something good, so she's a good person. Yet with us, we are privy to our internal dialogue and our intentions and what we meant to do and how we meant to act and how things really are instead of how they come across. So let's try to show that same respect to others and that same understanding and openness. And here's an example. Do you ever look at a homeless person and judge them for the situation they're in, thinking it's from laziness or lack of motivation or recklessness or immaturity or responsibility? Let's think about some reasons for why they're homeless. Maybe medical bankruptcy. Maybe a loved one contracted a disease and it completely drained their bank account, their savings, because they were caring for this loved one. Maybe the loved one had cancer. Maybe this homeless person is mentally ill. Maybe has PTSD from fighting for your freedoms and couldn't or wouldn't, didn't have the resources or couldn't take care of themselves and get the care that they need. Maybe they have some other form of mental illness and can't care for themselves. Number six, reframe. When someone does something you don't like, maybe think of it as they are simply solving a problem in a different way than you would. That's how innovation happens. Maybe they have a different timetable than you do. Maybe there was a lack of communication. Maybe you're maybe the reason for that lack of communication. And this can help us be more open-minded and accepting of others' behavior. Like the Dalai Lama says, people take different roads seeking fulfillment and happiness. And just because they're not on your road doesn't mean they've gotten lost. And this reminds me of not projecting our insecurities onto others. So for example, I've had people express sorrow and pity to me for not having kids and not being married. And I recognize they're coming from a good place. They really are. But what I want to say to them is, I would love to be a mother and to be in a meaningful relationship, but I am 
happy being single. I am happy with the life I'm living. I don't feel like it's lacking. I don't feel unfulfilled. I feel like my life is extremely full. I feel so loved. I love, I feel like my life is so rich. I don't feel like it's missing anything. Not to say that I'm not open to motherhood or getting married. I absolutely am. And I look forward to it. But right now, please don't take pity on me. I mean, save that energy, right? Or when you see people feel sorry for others eating alone or going to the movies by themselves, maybe that person is a parent who is so jazzed to have some me time. Maybe it's an introvert who would rather be by themselves to recharge and to have some alone time and would rather be by themselves and be around someone else talking to them. So just think about that and just try to identify your insecurities and how they could be bleeding onto others. Number seven, look at your own behavior. Sometimes we may be judging someone for doing something that we do ourselves or have done. For example, the next time you find yourself yelling at someone while you're driving, ask yourself, have I ever driven poorly? I'm willing to bet almost all of us have. Maybe it's because we have kids screaming in the backseat. Maybe it's because we just got some bad news and we're distracted. Maybe it's because we really have to go to the bathroom. There are so many reasons. And I'm a stickler on using blinkers. I think it's the considerate thing to do. It's the courteous thing to do. It's the lawful thing to do. And I get so annoyed sometimes when people don't use their blinker. And then I have to remember there have been a couple of times when I myself have not used my blinker and I'll suddenly realize and be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. What if the one person that I was judging for not using their blinker has a 98% success rate like I do, but in that one moment, they just didn't use their blinker. And who am I, the traffic police? That's not me. And let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes we screw up and that's not even a big screw up. And I also want to point out that not only is it easy for us to project onto others, this usually happens when something hap- when someone does something that rubs up an insecurity against an insecurity of ours. And so this really inflames that and causes us to react with judgment like I talked about earlier and can activate a scarcity mindset. And the good news is there is enough to go around. There's enough success to go around. There's enough beauty to go around. So just because I'm successful doesn't mean that you're any less successful and there's less of the pie for you. There is no pie. There's an infinite amount of success to go around for everybody. So let's celebrate each other and get psyched for each other. And also something that I want to point out, how many of you have initially judged and disliked someone and then ended up being friends with them? This happens. So those initial judgments are always good, right? And accurate. Number eight, educate yourself. When people do things that are annoying, they may have a hidden disability. For example, some people with poor social skills may have Asperger's syndrome. So if someone's invading your personal space, as someone with Asperger's might, remember again, it's not about you. I had a boss and when I would talk to her, she would never make eye contact with me when she was listening. And it always felt like she was zoning out and not taking in what I was saying and felt a little off-putting and she never really asked about me it felt like like she'd always just tell me about herself and say everything that was going on in her life never said anything but then fast forward a few months and i was talking with her and she 
asked me specific questions about everything that was going on in my life, had incredible recall, was so dialed in and proved she was truly listening and taking in all that I was saying and she cared, but I think she's on the spectrum and so she wasn't making eye contact because of that. Her lack of eye contact wasn't a reflection of her caring, it was a reflection of her condition. And that really exemplified that point for me. And a great quote by Abraham Lincoln is, I don't like that man, I must get to know him better. I love that. And that also ties into seeing redeemable qualities in everybody. If you don't like someone, try to get to know them better. Try to find common ground. And it's also important to remember that different cultures do things differently. It doesn't mean they're wrong. And who's to say our culture is right and another culture is wrong? They may think our ways are messed up. I know there are some cultures that are very assertive and value people putting themselves forward and asserting and being first in line and not waiting around. And if you're going to get anywhere, it's because you're going for it. And physically and figuratively, too. I know there are some cultures who do not understand the four-way stop and that unspoken agreement and law that first come, first served. If you're the first at the four-way stop, then you're the first to go. And it goes accordingly right and there are some cultures where they're like but I don't understand I why would you not just go I don't understand why you're honoring this unspoken agreement to take your turn and I remember this person was from the Israeli culture and it's not to say that Israeli culture is bad it's just a different way of doing things and let's just accept one another number nine give the person the benefit of the doubt Someone once told me no one wakes up in the morning thinking I am going to be a jerk today. I can't wait to be a raging asshole. Maybe some people do do that, but most of us do the best we can with the resources we have at the moment. And if you do want to really stick it to the world, that's because you're hurting. Hurt people hurt people. So let's just remind ourselves that things happen that Maybe we don't necessarily agree with, or we don't necessarily like, but let's try to give the person the benefit of the doubt because we don't know what is going on in their lives, right? And here is a true story that I want you guys to think about. So there was a woman who was with her children at the grocery store checking out. And when she pulled out her EBT or her food stamps, the people behind her didn't even try to hide their disdain and judgment and spoke loudly enough because they wanted her to hear them that they saw her smartphone, her perfect manicure, her designer bag, her car keys, and her kids' name brand clothes. And here's what she wishes they knew. My brother and his wife died in a car accident, leaving me to care for their three children, turning me into a single mom overnight. I do my nails myself. My phone has been my Christmas gift for my dad for the last three years. My bag is a knockoff. My car belongs to my mom. My kids' name brand clothes are from Goodwill. Oh, and I work two jobs. So think about that the next time that you see somebody you think is working the system, and maybe they are. But there's a reason for that, contributing factors, not that we condone that behavior, but it's not up to us to determine if it's right or wrong. We're not the police, and it's just not up to us. And if you are in law enforcement, There are other ways that you do your job instead of ruling on someone's morality or immorality, right? And let's remember, there are reasons why people are the way they are. Past trauma, current trauma, pain, insecurity. Digging deep and transcending first glance and face value can be very illuminating. It can help connect us and help us relate to one another. 
And it said that if we knew people's stories, we'd root for them. So I don't know if you guys have seen the Joker movie, but that's a great example. I personally haven't seen it, but I know the premise behind it and his earlier childhood and his bullying that he experienced contributed to the way he turned out and the way he was and the harm he inflicted on other people. And so again, you don't condone that behavior, but you can understand and sympathize. And another great example is Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. I don't know if you guys have seen that Netflix documentary or biopic on him. And it is similar to the Joker. And he had a really, really hard childhood and he felt ostracized and bullied and not valued and he went to college and finally found a professor who took him under his wing and suddenly Ted felt valued and he felt loved and he felt like he could contribute something to the world and he felt smart and then this mentor ended up turning on him as part of a mind control experiment that the government was running to use tactics to use against the Russians. And so anyways, the professor coerced Ted into participating in this mind control experiment. Ted didn't initially know, and then when he found out, it was crushing and heartbreaking. And the mentor, as part of this experiment to try to get Ted into a certain frame of mind, set the most awful, hurtful, crushing things and explained why he had chosen Ted to participate in this experiment because Ted was worthless in a certain kind of way and Ted felt beyond betrayed and crushed and the things that the mentor said were just cruel and so think about if there was one person in the whole world whom you felt finally valued you and saw you and heard you and loved you for them to turn on you how would you feel how would you then see the world what kind of chip would you have in your shoulder how resentful would you be? How would you act? And I mean, I'd like to think that we wouldn't turn into the Unabomber and Melon Bombs, but it's just something to think about. You don't know how you would act in those shoes. And I also want to point out that there are so many micro experiences of judging just when you're out and about. Um, like I talked about earlier, if you're in the grocery line, you know, sometimes I'll go out to dinner with my dad and I will get looks, dirty looks, open stares. And I can tell people think that I'm out on a date and the guy is robbing the cradle out with the younger woman and you get some eye rolls from some women. And it's laughable, sure, and comical because you're like, if you only knew you have, this is my dad and we're not even touching each other and we're just conversing. And it's so funny how people are seeing the world through their lens and through their insecurities. And what about obesity? I think it's common for people to view obesity as a willpower problem, right? And let's remember, obesity can be a metabolic condition. There can be so many contributing factors to why someone is overweight. And also, usually the fittest people I know aren't the most toned. They're not the ones with the six pack and treaded muscles. And some of the thinnest people I know who have great muscle definition are the least healthy. So think about that. And also think about addiction. Addiction is non-discriminatory, and this is addiction in its various forms. So addiction to exercise, addiction to food, addiction to drugs, addiction to alcohol. Addiction does not discriminate, and it will destroy a mother of four just as easily as a man from the slums. And so it's genetic too and hereditary. 
And there are so many contributing factors, chemical imbalance, trauma, pain, forced addiction. So let's try to have empathy for each other, okay? And here are some other scenarios about giving people the benefit of the doubt. And we can practice thinking of different ways of perceiving this. So let's say that a person with no visible handicap parks in the handicap parking spot and they get out and it looks like those legs work just fine. But hey, maybe they have a back injury or a brain injury, an allergy to the cold. Actually, that is a thing I've, uh, when I was researching this, I, there's an, an organization about invisible disabilities and that was one of the reasons cited. Uh, chronic illness, think about it. Uh, maybe a friend you know who's struggling financially goes on a lavish vacation. Hey, maybe it was a gift. Maybe their parents paid for it. You don't know. Maybe you see a friend at the store and they turn and go the other way and you think, oh, that's so rude. That's so antisocial. Who do they think they are? I thought we were friends. But hey, maybe they're in a rush. Maybe they're embarrassed about their appearance. Maybe they're just struggling that day. Have you ever been in that headspace where you just don't want to see anybody and you just kind of want to hide from the world and detach? You got to do your things. You got to run your errands, but you just don't want to interact with anybody. I know I feel like that sometimes and it doesn't mean I love my people any less. It just means I just kind of need to circle the wagons and do my own thing. And maybe you are working and struggling and grinding and you see someone seemingly succeeding overnight and you judge them and feel like they haven't put in the time or the effort, the work, but we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. Maybe they're grinding at midnight and you just don't know it. And I do want to give a disclaimer. Let's be careful of telling ourselves stories just to soothe our egos and spinning things just to make ourselves feel better about it. Like, oh, that person looks that way because they have great genes. I could look that way if I worked out incessantly. They must be addicted to exercise and they must eat so cleanly. Or they got that lucky break because of their parents, because of this or because of that. So let's be careful about what stories we tell ourselves. I think... A common or a takeaway that we need to remember is to be honest with ourselves and open and acknowledge that we don't have all of the details and what matters most is focusing on our own progress and growth. Okay, number 10, feel good about you. If you feel good about you, you want others to feel good about themselves. You want good for others, right? If you feel solid with yourself, you want good for others. If you feel guilty or shameful about your parenting, like you're not a good parent, if you doubt your ability at running or creating, then you are susceptible more likely to judge others for that same thing and for their choices. If you feel good about your body, you don't necessarily feel the need to go around making fun of other people's weight or appearance. And as Brene Brown points out, we are hard on each other because we're using each other as a launching pad out of our own perceived deficiency. So for example, thinking people are full of themselves for posting selfies. Is this maybe because you wish you liked your appearance more, that you were more confident or more assertive, more open, that you put yourself out there more? Maybe you wish you had the confidence to post a selfie. And sure, there's the whole needing validation thing to consider, but that's not always the case. I post selfies and it's not because I need validation or because I think I'm so fine I think it's an expression of self-love and I think it's a way to 
show others my face myself. I don't have a lot of people around me to take pictures. My sister is a photographer and takes my picture, but I don't have a husband and kids to take my picture. And it's a way to capture my life. You know what I mean? And I think that that's beautiful when people share themselves and are vulnerable. And it's not just about vulnerability when they just self-express. I think it's a great thing. So I, I admire it and I celebrate it. And let's say that people do need validation. So what? It's not up to us to determine if that's right or wrong or good or bad or lame or not lame. Just let them be. And let's just accept and love. If we just meet everything with love, that's kind of the solution, right? And I have noticed that a lot of people don't accept compliments very easily. And I find that with myself too. I've really had to work to not meet a compliment with self-deprecation for fear of being too arrogant or seeming too arrogant or confident, overconfident. And think about that. What's your inclination when you first receive a compliment, especially if it's something that you feel you deserve? Like you had a huge win at work and somebody congratulates you on that. Oh my gosh, you're so amazing. You're so smart. You're so this. Is your first instinct to downplay that, to downplay your accomplishment because you don't want people to think that you're too self-absorbed or too arrogant? And I think that's sad. And if others do judge you that way, you can't control that. And that may be, but that comes from their insecurity and their lack of um, worth or their sense of worth. And I love when people celebrate their wins and their accomplishments and themselves. I think it's beautiful. And I think that that's what we should work towards. And again, we can't control other people judging us, but it's only through us daring to be our authentic selves and to celebrate our wins and to live our truths, despite what others will say or think or do, that's when that momentum happens to actually change the paradigm and change everything. And it's only when we dare to defy what people think and to just live our own lives, that's when things start to shift in society overall. And so live your life regardless of what you think people will think about you. And This is simple but profound and key. It starts with us. When we are good to ourselves, we're good to others. When we feel solid with ourselves, we're kinder to others. Hurt people hurt people. So work on yourself. Focus on yourself, not others. And judging others says more about ourselves than it does them. It's the truth. And like I said, accept that you'll be judged. Be okay with that. And I think if we collectively work on ourselves and individually work on ourselves, I should say, then we raise that collective consciousness and we raise the collective vibe. And I think that's our ultimate goal, right? And we want just love and peace in the world. And I know my hippie is showing with that, but really that's when everybody is happy and safe and successful when we're all doing right by ourselves and doing right by others. So that's all that I have. I hope this at least provoked some thoughts and maybe some attitude changes or reperceptions and thank you for listening and peace and blessings y'all thank you please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review thank you